This past week was the first complete week of school. Um, my school started back the same day as Chillicothe schools did. So we had, you know, started Wednesday the week before, three days felt like an eternity. And then this past week felt like three eternities. It was so long. But I'm, it's fascinating when I'm at school to see some of the behaviors the kids have. Like I've seen already in one week, I've seen kids on desks, jumping up on tables, running all over the place. I've seen more twerking at school than on the MTV Music Awards. It's just crazy. It's completely crazy. And, but my, like, one of my favorite parts is um, when the kids complain about the temperature in the room. <laughs> because last year it was 80 degrees in my classroom in October. And then in May, it was hitting 80 degrees. And I kept going to the principal, and I was like, look, it's really, really hot. It's really hot. I didn't know if it was just their system or if it was the fact that we were on the third floor. Well, finally, they turned it down to 69, and it was perfect. But then the temperature dipped in May, and they went back to turn it back up. I was like, no, don't touch it. So, to, like, it's still at 69. So, literally, every single day, the kids come in and complain it's too cold. And I'm just like, just wear a sweater. I don't know what to tell you. Like this past week already, we had somebody pull the fire alarm. So we evacuate the school, and the school is not like in a pretty park with lots of trees. It's in off a of Morse Road. There's just concrete, and it's just hot. And my class wouldn't even stand still long enough for the fire drill. So we just kept standing there in 90-degree weather, totally just standing there, waiting for them to get over themselves. And it took forever. Then they started to be smart Alex and started complaining that it was still too cold. I told them to watch their mouths. <laughs> but like the best story so far came from the first day of school. I had, um, I'm really sorry, at school we gotta wear a mask, so I've spent like the last week yelling and then I forgot my water down there. So if Larry, could you hand me my water? It's on the other side of my book bag. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. So sorry. <laughs> well, I had a, a girl walk into my fifth grade math class. And um, she told me, she's like, I'm, I was really worried about starting school. I was really scared. And she's like, but my cousin was in your class the year before. And he told me that with you as my teacher, I had nothing to worry about. She said, you're the best teacher. And I was like, oh, that meant so much. So when I was in sixth grade math with that student, he wanted to play, like the first day of school, we do a lot of icebreakers and get to know you games. And he wanted to play Never Have I Ever. I was like, well, you did say I was the best teacher, so I am going, we're going to play Never Have I Ever. But if you know, I, only time I ever heard of Never Have I Ever was as a drinking game. So we couldn't do that, of course. So we did jumping jacks. And our school is, like, fitness is a core value of our school, so it worked right in line. So anytime that you had done whatever the it person said, they had never done, you had to get up and do jumping jacks. So I said, never have I ever played Fortnite. So the whole class got up, started doing jumping jacks. And then they sit back down. 
And we keep going around and giving everybody a chance. And then one girl, Jamina, one of my favorite students, she says, never have I ever shoplifted. The entire class stands up and does jumping jacks. And I sit there and I'm like, what? <laughs> You've all walked into a store and stole something on purpose? And then we kept going. And then another kid says, never have I ever taken the trash out. And two kids stand up and do jumping jacks. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me every single one of you have stolen something. And only two of you have taken the trash out. That, at that moment, I was like, okay, we're done doing this game because this is getting ridiculous. And then I told them they needed to, I didn't care if it wasn't their chore, they still needed to take the trash out for their mama. So today we're looking at the eighth commandment. Thou shall not steal. If you have your Bibles and you want to look at it in your Bible, it's um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. It's one of our most wordier commandments today, as it just says, you shall not steal. <laughs> if you read it in the message, it says, do not steal. <laughs> well, I got interested in knowing the history around stealing. And so I knew that... Um, in Babylon, Babylon, King Hammurabi created uh, the, one of our most complete legal codes. So this was around like 1771. Uh, it's called the Code of Hammurabi, and it's like the basis for basically our judicial system even to today. And stealing was one of the things that was mentioned there. And it brought a harsh punishment. So then when Moses came and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, we know that Moses was around, uh, according to Jewish tradition, around 1300 B.C. So it's only like about 500 years after the king of Babylon created this code of law. So they were used to having these laws that they had to follow. And it brought, like I said, a steep punishment. See, the belief was a person worked really hard for what they had. And when you go and you steal that from somebody, you're stealing a hard day of labor. And most often, it was met with death. See, I grew up in a world where you could just leave your keys in your car. You didn't have to lock your door. Like when we go down to my mom's house and the front door's locked because nobody's home, we just go around to the side door because it's wide open. We didn't have to worry about such things. Then God brought us to Columbus area. And we, the first time we started uh, serving at, on the west side of Columbus, the very first day, it was a Sunday. And then that Sunday evening was a Lenten service. So they used to, on the west side of Columbus, all the different denominational churches uh, participated in these Lenten services. So every Sunday evening, it was at a different church. So that Sunday evening, it was at the Catholic Church. So we got our GPS and we put in the address. Now, we didn't even have cell phones at this point, let alone a smartphone. And the only reason we had a GPS was because Lenny had won it at work, at a work conference. So we put our, the address in our GPS, we drive to the church, we go to the service, we come out of the church and we're talking to Pastor Mike and his family and 
Finally, we're the last cars in the parking lot. We walk over to our car and our window is smashed. And they had stolen our GPS and Lenny's wallet because he left it in there. <laughs> um, so it is very violating to have your possession stolen. To have somebody come and just take what you had worked hard for. And I should know, over the course of the last, since then, I've had two laptops stolen, <laughs> one a MacBook Air. So it's just, it feels wrong. And especially when they took my, lap, my laptop and it had my sermons and lessons and everything on it, and I had my heart on, in, the, in these documents, and then all of a sudden it was gone. In the Middle East, up until like 2007, it was very common when you stole something, they would cut off your right hand. That was part of Sharia law. So it's just wrong to take something from somebody. And I got a simple question for everybody. And so by show of hands, who here believes it is wrong to steal something from somebody else? Now, by a show of hands, how many of you have either heard, um, read, or watched a version of Robin Hood? <laughs> now, if you were sitting on the jury, would you find Robin Hood guilty of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor? It gets a little complicated, doesn't it? See. I grew up in Appalachia, which um, this area is, can be considered a part of Appalachia as well. And one characteristic of an Appalachian culture is blood is thicker than water. Like, do not mess with my family. I'm the furthest thing from a bully. Like, I've never fought. I've never gotten in trouble in school. But in high school, I was in the flag corps, and we were at a football game, and we're up in the bleachers, and... My friend has a friend down behind the stands yelling for her, and she wanted to show her someone. So she goes and looks, and I was like, she, what did she want? She's like, oh, she just wanted to show me her boyfriend. I was like, oh, so I go and look to see who her boyfriend is. And she goes, he's so ugly, I don't even care about it. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, look, I was like, are you talking about Ty? And she's like, yeah, that's his name. I was like, that's my cousin. And I pushed her. I was, I've never done anything like that. But when she like insulted my cousin, I was like, no, you're not doing that. And now as a mom, I'm a mama bear. Like if somebody messes with my kids, I'm going to do something to you. I just literally just read a story this morning. It was just uh, posted of a woman in Los Angeles. Her five-year-old son was in her front yard playing. And she started hearing a commotion, and she goes outside, and it's a mountain lion is attacking her son. And it's dragging him away, dragged him like 45 feet. And she took off running, and she beat that mountain lion off of him with her pair hands. You don't mess with somebody's kids. <laughs> I was always, like... Before I started studying for the ministry, I was actually studying criminal justice. I was working on my associate's degree in criminal justice. I almost had it before we moved to Virginia. 
sorry. But one of the things that I was interested in, I found really interesting in psychology was um, Kohlberg's moral dilemmas, or the Heinz dilemma. And I just, I just found these fascinating because it really, like, made me think, what, what in the world would I do? See, uh, Lawrence Kohlberg, he, uh, he was born in 1927, and he died in the 80s. But he developed the, these different stages of moral development. And I want to read one to you and see what you would do in this instance. So let's pretend your child is diagnosed with a rare cancer. And someone in your town develops the only drug that will save them. And the best part, it only costs that pharmacist $10 to make. However, as it is the, often the case with pharmaceutical companies, he charges significantly more for the drug. Let's say he charges $10,000. Now you have a kid, it's, he's, your child's sick, they have a drug that will save them, but it's $10,000. So you work hard to raise money, you go and talk to everybody, you start a GoFundMe page, you do everything you can to get this money to, for this drug, and you only raise $5,000. But the drug only costs $10 to make. So you go to the pharmacist and you say, oh, I've tried everything to get this money, but I could only get $5,000. Will you give me a discount? Or will you let me pay this amount and then make payments on the rest of the money so I can save my child? But the pharmacist says, no. He says, no, I made that drug. I developed it. I have a right to charge what I want for it. And it's worth $10,000. Now the question I have for you, do you break in and steal the drug? So I would be, I'll, I'll be honest, when I started the, studying this 20 years ago, my answer is really different than my answer today. I want to look at my favorite scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it, but it's... um. I'm going to read it from the message, so it might be a little bit different. But my all-time favorite passage of Scripture is, um, well, hopefully, apparently I didn't put the thing in the right place. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 4. But now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You're mine. When you are in over your head, I will be with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I'm your God, your personal God, the holy of Israel, your savior, I paid a huge price for you. That's how much I love you. That's how much you mean to me. I would sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade creation just for you. I love these verses because it tells me that no matter what you're going through, God is there. They tell me that they will always be by your side when you're in the thick of it even. Now, over the years, I think, like you, I've had 
opportunities and lessons in trusting God. You know, I had walked through the waters and they had not overtook me. It is a hard lesson to learn. So I personally, I like to solve problems. So in a situation where my child, say, is sick and I need to find the money, I would find it some way. I am quite skilled at robbing Peter to pay Paul. I will figure it out. I will openly admit 20 years ago, I probably would have broke in and stole the drug. I would have taken the property, his property. Even though it was his, I would have taken it because in my mind, I think life was more important than possessions. But now I see it differently. You see, if I had broken into the pharmacy and stolen the drug, I wouldn't have just been stealing the drug. I would have been stealing God, an opportunity for him to show his glory. I would have been stealing from him the chance to reveal who he is to the world. And one day, me and Nate were at Walmart. We had a couple items, and uh, we were standing in line in the self-checkout line, waiting forever. And there was a lady there. She had her cart full of groceries. And we're just zoned out, watching everybody check out, not saying anything. And we're just standing there, and um, she takes out of her cart a produce bag where it has, uh, like, four tubes of ground beef. You know, the, you know, those little tubes, the cheapest way you can buy ground beef. And she puts it on the scale, and she does look-up item, and she types in B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Me and Nate look at each other and we're like, that wasn't bananas. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't judge her because when I looked at her face, I saw desperation. I don't know if I should have turned her in. I, I don't know. I think that's something we could argue both sides for. But what I do know is that when she took things into her own hands, she stole an opportunity from God. She stole from God. She took his glory away. And it just seems silly. It just seems silly to limit the creator of the universe and not fully trust him to take care of us and not fully trust him to provide But can I implore you to not rob God of his glory? Can I implore you to trust God in everything you do? And trust God with those we love, even her children that most moms would fight off a mountain lion with their bare hands for. Can you put your life at his feet? And as Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain, No matter what, it's going to be okay. Can we trust in God's providence? The definition of providence is the protection, protective care of God. It's believing that he's actively involved in your life. So, like, for instance, imagine a parade. Like, if there was a parade going on, imagine God in the watchtower. And... 
or clock tower. He's looking down on the parade. He sees where the parade started. He sees where the parade ends. He knows everything that's going to happen from beginning to end. He's there. He can see it. But there's also another part. Because if we look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, we don't see that he's just in the clock tower watching the parade go by. We see that he's right there in the parade with us. He's right there with us the entire time. I see the words, I'll be there with you. And I believe that God knows the parade route from beginning to end. He knows everything that can going to happen, but at the same time, he's right there with us, orchestrating everything, always whispering, for not, for I'm here with you. He is right beside us always. Providence is in Jeremiah 29, 11, when it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in a future. We have to trust him with the details. We have to trust him with the details of our lives. He knows every single little bump in the road. And he has made provisions for every turn along the way. We just have to trust him with the details of our life. Even in those difficult days. Actually, probably even more so in those overwhelming moments. We have to trust him. Um, As most of you know, um, in June, we went on vacation. And... um, we got there on Saturday, on Tuesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, uh, Lenny woke up and the chest pain that he had been feeling for a couple days was worse, and I took him to the hospital. After uh, five hours in the waiting room, they come out and they tell him he's having a mild heart attack. And I guess I just expected we would go to the emergency room of, They'd be like, oh, it's nothing, you're fine, and we'd go back. But I was like, what, a heart attack? And then they did a heart cath, and I thought, oh, they're just going to go in there, probably find 20% blockage, just, they'll put in a heart stent, it was just a mild heart attack, yada, 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 we'll go on with our lives. And they were like, no, <laughs> there's two arteries, 95% blocked, so we need to do open heart surgery. Through it all, like, I never, even though I was like, I can't believe this is happening, but I never doubted things were going to be okay. God had made provisions for us along the way. We didn't know it at the time, but the hospital that I drove him to was a nonprofit, nonprofit Christian hospital. They had an award-winning cardiology department. The doctor that was going to perform his surgery has performed twice as many surgeries as the average cardiac surgeon. He was right there. Like, we didn't know what was going to happen, but God did. And he took care of every little thing. We ended up having to spend a longer time in Florida. We weren't planning on that. We had army friends that we haven't seen for years, help pay for our hotel stays. God provided all along the way. He was that steady, unwavering hand through it all. And the thing is, if you don't have that, if you don't have that steady, unwavering hand walking through life with you, 
let me tell you, you don't want to miss out. I think about some of the things that I've gone through in life and those very hard, difficult moments that I would have never made it through if it had not been for Christ. And if you don't know him, don't miss an opportunity to come to know him. It will change absolutely everything. You know, there's a story about a man on a, he falls off a cliff. And he reaches out and he grabs a branch. And he stops and he's hanging there and he's yelling, is anybody up there? And somebody says, yes. And he says, well, who are you? And he says, I'm God. And I'm going to save you. And he says, wonderful, what should I do? Let go of the branch. And the man says, is there anybody else up there? Trusting Christ means letting go. You may not be stealing a car. or You may not be going into Walmart, getting a candy bar and putting it in your pocket because you want it. I, I really don't think any of you are going to go out there and do that. But when we hold too tightly to things and we try to fix things ourselves instead of putting our trust in Christ, we are missing out. And like that man, we just need to let go and let God take care of it. I think just through this um, passage or commandments, I see thou shalt not steal in a completely different light. When I think about all the opportunities and all the times that I tried to fix things on my own and I didn't let God have his glory. So let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are with us through it all. We thank you that we can pass through the waters and they're not going to overtake us. That we can walk through the fire and we're not going to be burned. Thank you. And God, right now, we just let go of those things we're holding too tightly to. We're going to let go of them, and we're going to hold on to you. And we're never going to let go. And we pray, Lord, that you never let go of us. We want you beside our side, right beside us, right beside us. we know that you are there ready to walk through anything with us we know Lord that chances are we're going to leave here today and we are going to face really hard days terrifying incredibly hard days but we also know that if you are with us no matter what it will be okay Oh, Jesus, how we love you. And your blessed name. And your great, amazing name. 